Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. What a way to start off the show. We're only back, lads. The first Monday back, and we have to start off by saying Mayo for Sam. Um, like, I mean, Mayo are the new Galway. They absolutely destroyed them yesterday. I saw a funny tweet from John Casey Keane, and he says, The last time Mayo scored 217 in the first half of a league game in Shum in October during a pandemic was 1951. Just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've all, we've all got the clips today of the only, uh, the only person who's going to stop Mayo winning Sam is Tony Hoolahan. So I think uh, <laughs> the, the Mayo fans are out for us already. So, um, yeah, look, a brilliant start for them and uh, cracking, cracking first half of football from them. Well, that was it, uh, Colin. Two seventeen, but it is jaw-dropping score. In like considering the decade we've gone through with Gaelic football, to have two seventeen up in a half of football against a team top of the Division One league, a team that was supposedly coming in with all the momentum as well. <laughs> After seven months, that's what they were saying in the pre-game. <laughs> go, go over top of the league. They have all the momentum. It's like, yeah, lads, that was back in February. <laughs> <laughs> I think you tweeted out. Uh, was it an article that said Galway had made seven changes for this game, as if they were? Like, yeah, seven. It was nine changes from their last game. Was the headline I read? <laughs> but yeah, like it was, it was unbelievable. Like Mayo, somebody texted me saying what happened there, and it was just like Mayo ripped them apart. Like that's all the only thing I could say about it. Yeah, no, they definitely did. They had, they were with the wind. We'll talk a bit about the the match in part two. Um, but like I mean I suppose Keane these are freak results like you can't read anything into them Galway destroyed Tyrone earlier in the league um, at home put 225 on them and the week after Tyrone went out and beat and beat Dublin Yeah look I think it's it's a bit 
kind of like silly season at the minute. I mean, they're, they're really glorified challenge matches that were played at the weekend. I know there was, you know, there was stuff at stake, but the reality is there's no form lines going into them. There's a mixture of availability of players between injuries, between illness, between lads dropping off panels. Managers haven't a clue probably what their teams are going to be. And that was very reflected, I thought, in the, in the Galway-Mayo game because... I suppose Galway, even though they've opened up a little bit this season, they were predominantly defence first, um, you know, to get themselves to this standard. And I mean, what happened to them the other day was, um, you know, I'm sure they'd be, you know, wincing going back. I'd say they're all delighted that they can't have team meetings because I'd say it'd be a long team meeting. Back through all their defensive errors and clips and lads not tracking runners and lads leaving the centre of the defence wide open. So um, they certainly won't be happy. But look, it's very, very hard to read anything into it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be reading too much into it, particularly with the top teams. They're looking to just get minutes into guys and prepare for knockout football in a couple of weeks' time. Or, you know, mm-hmm. he's got it all goes ahead. Yeah, I think that's exactly what. Jeez, don't be saying if it all goes ahead. I'm just trying to stay positive here. There's no, there's a. I don't even want to entertain that talk. Although, listen, if we're being realistic, the chances of it continuing on. Poor old Jim McGuinness was getting the boot put into him as well, Conan, the whole way through the match. Like, I mean, this man took a innocently answered the, the call of a friend, an ex teammate in Chile did a session with them. Part of the video got leaked. They get hammered the week after. And now poor Jim McGuinness is getting absolutely fleeced during this game yesterday. Yeah, the game has left Jim McGuinness behind. <laughs> <laughs> I um, Do you know what? Actually, I saw Damien Comer go down and Johnny Duan go down. And I thought, oh, I've got a brilliant hamstring joke here about Jim McGuinness doing sprints. Went on the Twitter and everybody was using the same joke. So I, I didn't use it myself. Like, yeah, it's it's funny. Like, everybody queuing up to stick the boot in them. And all I did was take one session. And according to, to Porrick Joyce, it was just about psychology. But then that didn't work either, did it, Willie? Yeah, it didn't do much about their, their mental uh, stage yesterday, but it looks <laughs> Them. They weren't up for it, clearly. Here's a question I have for you, Keen. Right, Conor Gleeson had a nightmare yesterday, right? I mean, and we thought he was the answer for the goals because Galway haven't had, you know, that kind of sure kind of, you know, goalkeeper that you would be able to depend on, you know, both with kickouts and in general play. And he was having a nightmare. Like, he lost 10 of the first half kickouts to the point where he passed it to Liam Silk under all sorts of pressure. Liam Silk passed it back to him and it was blown up. That's the first time I've ever seen that happening. But here's the question. Even in the second half, then he's soloing out with the ball. He tries to hand pass it to someone and gives it straight to a Mayo player. Why don't managers take goalkeepers off when they're not playing well? Like, if that was a cornerback having a similar game, that man's gone, or a corner forward. Yeah, I don't know. They're a bit of a protected species at times, <laughs> um, which you can probably understand because, um, I mean, if a goalkeeper uh, loses his uh, loses his position or loses confidence or loses his nerve, it can have a massive detrimental effect on the team. As you can see, if a keeper makes a mistake early in a game, it takes an awful lot of character to kind of, I suppose, calm themselves down and make sure that they just get the basics right. But there's an awful lot of pressure being put onto goalkeepers now. I mean, it's like everybody else out the field is just taking no responsibility for having to go and win the ball. I mean, to my mind, you know, the the predominant thing is the goalkeeper hits a zone of the field and it's up to the players in that zone to go and win the ball and win that contest. That's never going to change in the game if you want to get possession of the ball. I mean, Dublin, even though Cluxton, brilliant and all as he is, they don't just say, oh, you didn't put that perfectly onto my chest, Stephen, I'm not going to go and fight for it. I mean, a lot of the time kickouts from him that aren't exactly perfect they still go and win them so yeah it is an interesting one I think it's maybe 
look, it's something that you probably will see more often going forward because the role of the goalkeeper, they're putting so much more pressure onto them. They're expecting more from the goalkeeper that, yeah, it's going to come to a stage. But what happens when you have to take off the, the sub-goalkeeper then if he makes a, messes up a few kickouts? Like, I mean, it's the usual thing of taking off the corner forward. I mean, as a forward, I'd be all for just take off the goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's the thing, Connor. That may, Keane makes a good point there, right? So a goalkeeper goes wide to the wing, right? And there's a bit of a float on it. And two fellas contested. The ball breaks. You lose the break. That's down to a kick out lost for that goalkeeper rather than the fellow who didn't jump on the break. <laughs> but do you know what it is as well? It's it's the attitude. Like Keane is talking about the attitude. But I think when you lose confidence in a goalkeeper, boys, they don't make those runs as hard. Like They almost want to blame him a bit quicker. Once, they, once they've decided in their heads that he's not having a good game or he's not the keeper for us. Then. Yeah, that, that's a brilliant point, Conan. That's 100% the case. You see it so often if a, if a keeper is under pressure on a team, uh, one kick out that's not perfect and the midfielders are waving their arms in the air and everyone's pointing back to the keeper instead of taking a bit of responsibility themselves. Yeah, yeah like so the, the short ones were bad, but then the, the long ones, Mayo won them, Mayo ate them up and there was no reason. There was plenty of Galway boys around there, but because they weren't going to a Galway hand, yeah, they, just as Keane says, they had their hands out, almost looking over to the dugout like this guy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's completely wrong, I suppose. I don't think a Dublin player would ever do that to Cluxton. That again, Cluxton doesn't really put two men wrong, although he does at times. Like, I mean, he floats a few out to midfield if, he, if he's under a lot of pressure. Like it does, but but again, it's Cluxton. He's commanding that respect over the years, over the game, and I suppose he probably just like he will find somebody as well when he needs to do it. So maybe when players are starting to, that nobody's losing trust in Cluxton, but but it will it will pinpoint him, it hit them on the chest, and he'll put them in a place where a lot of the time the player does look really bad if he's not getting it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a bit like any position in the field. If you're used to getting a certain quality of pass from a certain player, um, particularly if you're playing in the forward line, you're used to maybe we'll, we'll take the stereotypical, the, the, the donkey of a cornerback who's coming up the field and he, he always wants to kick the ball, but he's not able to kick the ball. So it's always a brutal pass into you. Well, you're nearly waiting, to, you're ready to give out to him before he's even kicked the ball. So I think there's a, there's a bit of that with these players when they don't have uh, full trust, as, as Conan said. If you don't believe in the, the, I suppose, the skill level of the guy who's doing it, you're kind of thinking, well, why are you even trying to do this? You know, simplify the game. You know, better decision-making and make it a bit easier on yourself. Look, lads have to take a bit of responsibility. There's far too much. I think there's an over-analysis on... Uh, goalkeepers kickouts now and this statistic of how many kickouts were retained or not retained you know it does it does go a little bit deeper than that on the keepers I mean sometimes a keeper can hit a perfect kick out and a fellow drops it I mean is that the keeper's fault definitely not yeah definitely not you mentioned donkeys of cornerbacks that's another talking point to have um, on the show here um, we'll do it in a minute there's no such thing as a donkey of a cornerback now this is it like I mean the cornerback position has completely changed I don't think for the better but we'll get to that now in a minute because Parik Joyce said after the game he said it was the most embarrassing day I've been involved with Galway in my entire career at 43 years of age I've never seen a performance as bad to tell you the truth then he says he didn't want to throw the lads under the bus he prepared them and he takes full responsibility along with Jim McGuinness uh, he didn't say Jim McGuinness I'm only joking I'm only, I'm only joking with that one so then we move on to Tyrone Donegal yesterday lads it was kind of like watching a different sport after seeing the kind of 
I think the word to use about Mayo is kind of urgency and, you know, speed and pace they played the game at. Then we have uh, Donegal Tyrone. Again, we'll analyse this in part two. And Donegal were, or Tyrone were just incredible the way they dropped off Donegal, let them play on the outside and got picked off. Exactly the type of thing we know doesn't work. Now, whether they're playing um, a bit of rope-a-dope with Donegal, playing them in two weeks' time, there could have been an element to that because I thought Tyrone had gone had gone uh, past that. But Conor McKenna, uh, Keen. Um, first game in six years after being in the Aussie rules didn't play an awful lot of club football according to Mickey Hart he scores 1-2 in the second half much more effective at full forward but I, I, I call this last Thursday has something that really has something about him this fella oh yeah he looked he looked very good it was the first time I've, I've ever seen him to be honest and um he didn't look like the stereotypical fella who comes back from Australia because usually when lads come back from Australia, they're not able to kick the ball. They don't even look to kick the ball. They're, they're generally just kind of running around a bit and, and trying to get play the game very simple. Whereas he played with a great bit of confidence, I thought, and looked like, um, I suppose, a very natural Gaelic footballer wanted to kick the ball and, and looking forward. So I don't know. He obviously just hasn't had that flair beaten out of him by the Tyrone system. Yet. <laughs> because, because he definitely did try to hit a, hit a couple of early balls into the forwards when it was on. And look, he, he gives them a great bit of physical presence and power there, which is in their forward line, you know, with the exception of McShane, they probably have been trying different guys in the full forward line at different times. You know, they never really... to mixed success like McShane was probably the best obviously the best of them and they've tried Matty Donnelly in there but you know to, to have the ability of, of McKenna to, to switch him from the full forward line into the half forward line and maybe the same with Matty Donnelly you know obviously with McShane's injuries it, it means they have a bit of a mix because McCurry then is a sort of you know they have those kind of dinky forwards as well but they, they did need that bit of a physical presence up there and look in fairness to him for his first game back I thought he was very very impressive yeah, he's definitely impressive. What do you think of his hit on Murphy, uh, Conan? I was tweeting yesterday. He mustn't have seen many Donegal games in his six years in uh, in Australia if he's going to try and take on Michael Murphy. He rattled himself badly. He, I would say, he stopped Murphy in his tracks. Then Murphy slipped, but he did dispossess Murphy. Who who do, who do you give the the win to in this collision? <laughs> You remember the time uh, Floyd Mayweather fought Ricky Hatton and he slipped at one stage and everyone was like, oh my God, he's dying, he's dying. But he just lost his footing and he was absolutely fine. And the replay showed that Hatton didn't actually connect with him. I think that's exactly what happened here. <laughs> like, he, did, he did really well to not like break his own neck hitting Murphy with that sort of shoulder. And he did stop him and Murphy slipped and then lost the ball because of that. But McKenna stopped Murphy in his track. So I think he probably did win this now. That pains me to say because the only person I've ever seen put Michael Murphy on his arse from a shoulder tackle was, of course, Patsy Bradley. So um, it, it's it's a hard one to say that a Tyrone man, I think, got the better of him in this shoulder tackle. <laughs> it did. Here it is. Did you see this thing with Rory Brennan, right? So this is very confusing um, sending off. So he, he was tackling Michael Murphy. Michael Murphy would give him all he wanted of it the whole game, to be fair. And the game was getting away and Rory was getting frustrated. His tackling was borderline kind of punching. Um, and then the referee blew it as a foul keen and he pushed Michael Murphy's head down towards the ground. Then the camera panned away, or at least I didn't see this. Apparently, he put his hand on the referee's arm um, and he got the straight red for interfering with a referee. Yeah, I did. I did see it. And uh, I thought the thing on Murphy was, while there was, there was no real force in it, it was just stupid, petulant. It yeah. was a, it was a, he was going to get a red card for that unless the referee was going easy on him. I mean, like, look, it was just so obvious, stupid, so long after the free was given. Uh, 
totally understand, yeah, frustration and all of those types of things. But you, just, you can't do that. It just looks so bad. And then as the referee was going past him, he, he put his hand on him. Now, again, you're talking a token gesture, but at the same time, he definitely he definitely put his hand on the referee in what I would have thought was kind of like a slight little push on him. And look, again, he'd, he'd very nothing in it. But I mean, if I was the referee, I would have sent them off straight away because, right. you know, you're saying, what are you putting your hands on me for? I've given the decision against you. You've then pushed the player's head down. You're going to get, I'm going to let you away maybe with a yellow card here. And then as I'm running past you to move the free up, you, you, you have the cheek to put your hand on me. Like, I mean, you're definitely getting sent off now, sunshine, you know, right. like just crazy stuff. He just, he just lost the plot. That's all I can see. He just lost the head. Um, you know, wasn't mad aggressive, but even after he did it, I'd say he was thinking to himself, oh, shit, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right, OK. Like, I mean, I suppose a lot of managers often tell you to plow off the referee and you often see them maybe putting their hand over a referee's shoulder or something like that, Colin. Like, I mean, you know, that's not interfering. Obviously, Rory Brennan, if he pushed his hand or pushed his arm in a more of an aggressive way, well, that is. So he's in trouble then. That's a 12-week ban. Like there is something in it. Like I, I was talking before about having to having to ride a referee sometimes. Like you can't, you have to let them know that you're not going to be so passive, but you have to walk that line where they don't suddenly think that you're a bunch of pricks, basically, and then they start riding you the whole game. So you, but you want to put them under pressure and plumass them, as you say, and sort of cozy up to them as well. But like, yeah, that's that's just a line that you can't cross. Like you can, it might be very minor, and it will probably will be minor physical interference, but like just don't touch the referee like that's something that just can't be allowed to creep in as, yeah. as, as minor as it seems just no you don't do it yeah no exactly Niall Morgan incredibly won a ball out in front of the full back and the full forward yesterday did you see this he actually set up a mark for Michael McKiernan How, what was he doing out there he was playing as a sweeper out in front of the full back and the full forward key yeah I, I have honestly no idea how he found himself in that position but all I could say is it was a great bit it was a great bit of defensive play and uh, why do we need to have the sweepers coming back from the forwards if we can just send our goalkeeper out to the half back line yeah, that was Mark McHugh 2011-2012 level of sweeper kind of play. Like, it was outstanding. We don't see that that much in the game um, anymore. There's no doubt about that. But I was very disappointed with Armagh on Saturday Night Clouds. I sat down and I watched this and oh, it, was a, it was a very, very... If you look at, again, Mayo, Galway, pace, urgency, well, more Mayo... This game lacked any sort of urgency or any sort of kind of bite to it. And very disappointed in Armagh, Conan, considering like this is a home game to gain promotion to Division One. They haven't been there since 2012. This is a team that is on a very similar level to them. Like if Armagh want to make the step up, they just simply have to be able to beat Ross Common at home. You know, like or, or else they'll go up to Division One and they'll be like, no disrespect to Mead, we'll get to them in a minute. You know, they'll be coming straight back down. This, this is the thing, and it's sort of what what Keane's touching on there. Like people coming back after seven months or whatever. This this championship could throw up a lot of upsets early on, like especially like not in Leinster maybe, but like Armagh are playing Derry, and and I assumed that Armagh would just beat them because I assumed that they were just outside that top eight trying to break into it. We've been talking about them breaking into it for ages, but you don't know what sort of shape they're in coming into this, and like they didn't look at the races at all. And I can't believe how many times Ross Common just got straight through on goal. And there was, there was almost like a laziness as well to Armagh, just watching these players stream past them and watching to see if they would score a goal or not. And, and more often than not, Roscommon fisted it over, hit the crossbar at one stage, you know, got, got a couple of penalties. It was, it was actually very worrying, very hopeful from a Derry point of view. But 
like they, they do go to play Derry in the first round and if you lose and they're out their season's over in, in what 10 days time two weeks time like it is like people have to get up to the speed a lot quicker it's it's in their own hands now anyways they if they still they're luckily enough that Cavan didn't beat Kildare so if they go down to Clare and they win down there they will go up so at least it's still still in their own hands but you're right they, they didn't play like a team that wanted to get into division 1 they got, played like a team that was just kind of going through the motions and if we get into it we get into it and if we don't we don't they, they were, that's not to say Ross Common were that good either they weren't um, the the penalties kept them in it, and the first penalty for some wild reason, um, they were debating this on League Sunday. Uh, Gooch Cooper and and Kevin McStay, I couldn't understand that, Conan. Like, I mean, you've got Connor Cox running through on goals. You have his marker Ryan Kennedy coming behind him, puts his hand in over his shoulder, and knocks him over. Now, Con- Connor Cox definitely made the most of it but Christ when you're running at that speed and you get a hand in over your shoulder you're going to go you're going to fall forward this this is a classic one of me thinking that that looks soft and then I thought if that's 10 meters further out the pitch I think what a stupid tackle from the defender easy freeze given away in front of the goals so it is it is a foul it looks soft when you're getting a penalty for it but he's just come in over the top as you say He's not making any. He's not trying to get the ball. He's trying to stop him because he knows Connor Cox is about to pull the trigger with his right foot. So he's just trying to put him off, and that's that's the way you have to think about it. Like I, th- I do. You think you're right. Cox is buying it, or he's accentuating it anyway, and letting Goff know. But if that's ten meters further out, nobody's questioning that decision. They're all just thinking, "What are you doing?" And like that's a silly foul to give away here. Yeah, you're right. And Ryan Kennedy actually, he was on a yellow card already before that, and he dropped the knee. He actually did the the old trick that Armagh kind of brought into Gaelic football, and I've no problem saying that because this was around the time I was playing. Armagh brought that if you fall on the ground and any players near you, they're going to pretend they fall on top of you, and you're getting a knee in the ribs. He did one of them. That was kind of gone out of the game because I don't know, you don't see it all that often. Tyrone obviously got got uh, to grips with this uh, tactic from Armagh, probably because they're on the receiving end of it uh, plenty. And then it kind of spread around the country and they all started doing it. But like, I mean, he was on a yellow for that. He did really well on Connor Cox in the first half, but then McGinney had to take him off, Keenan. You know, it's devastating. But obviously, when your cornerback is after dropping the knee, getting a yellow, then giving away a penalty, you probably know choice. Most managers are taking cornerbacks especially off in that situation. Oh yeah, look, they're making the calculation. I mean, going down to fourteen men is such a is such a disadvantage with the way teams hold on to possession that um, you just can't afford to take that chance as a manager. I mean, look, you see it so often. I mean, <laughs> we've had this discussion before. Sometimes there's some players who will just never be taken off because they're too important to the team. But you know, the large bulk of players on the team, if you if you're playing on the edge there, you commit a foul, you get yourself yellow carded. If you're kind of on a on a tick and it's it's next foul and you're off, managers are, are making that decision and they're just they're just making the change because it's too much of a risk to take to leave the player on. Yeah. Goff was back as well, Conan. Like I mean, I was surprised. He was he was booking Ryan Kennedy. And I was thinking, considering that some of the issues that Goff had, right? He was right beside Ryan Kennedy, right close to each other. And I was thinking if Goff's going to book someone, he'll stand way away from them. And then you have referees not wearing masks, and you have umpires absolutely military wearing masks when they're not near anybody. <laughs> the only thing I'd say the umpires are just standing right beside a goalkeeper the whole game, probably. Uh, and they're usually a bit older as well, aren't they? So maybe they're just protecting themselves. There, there was a picture that went out, though. I think it was Brian Carroll who tweeted it, not not our Brian Carroll. Um, and it was a picture of the referees and all the officials at that game at halftime. And they were all socially distanced. You know, they were just standing around talking to each other two metres apart. And 
that is strange then when you compare it to the yellow card and he's right up at somebody's face giving it to him. Yeah, I do find the I find the the fist pumps a bit of a weird one when they're wearing gloves. Uh, key and you can do the handshake when you're wearing gloves. Or am I? I'm no, I'm not a, a, a medical expert. Uh, well, well, you seem to be a medical expert for what I've seen on Twitter the whole time, so <laughs> maybe I'd leave that to you. <laughs> right, well now, listen, if you want to get smart with me, let's move on to me. The same old story for me, the spirited fight, but not good enough in the end of the day. Yeah, I think, um, but look, let's let's take the positives up from it first, and you can tell me if I'm, uh, if I'm just being biased here, but look, it's the first time Mead have played Dublin and been very competitive with them. I mean, look, it's been a long time since we've even been that competitive with Dublin. It's been usually an absolute hammering and the game over before half time. So the game at the weekend, Mead stayed in the contest by hook or by crook. And if you, I'd say if you looked at the scoring opportunities in the game, Mead probably had more scoring opportunities than Dublin and certainly had more goal scoring opportunities than them. So look, they created the chances they were in the game. Look, they missed the chances and they weren't, you know, it was poor execution in the finishing from some guilt edge chances. And ultimately, that's the difference. I mean, you can't you can't miss those type of chances against any top level team, particularly the dubs, even when the dubs are at probably what, seventy-five percent or fifty percent pace. Um so look, it was it was uh, it was spirited for me, and there was a lot of really good things from it, particularly when you consider there was maybe three or three, if not four, debutants on the team, a lot of young players, but Ultimately, the failing comes back. If you cannot execute those scoring opportunities, then you're going to be found wanting in the end. And look, it was it was no different um, for me the other night than in a lot of games in, the, in Division 1 so far this season where they've been large parts of the game where they've done very, very well, but ultimately coming up short. And on this occasion against Dublin, it was a much better, much more competitive performance. But that's really all you could say about it. Ah, yeah, you're right. I'm being a little bit hard on him there. Um, I'm, I'm just messing. Like, it was the goal chances that they missed. And, like, I mean, Shane Walsh, who'd played well, um, finished a few good scores. He stuck it into the side netting, and he missed one from playoff his left at a crucial time as well. I don't want to be hard on him because he was he was one of the bright uh, sparks for, for, for Mead. But Cahill Hickey, Marty Clark picked up very well on this um, for his goal chance inexplicably, Cottle Hickey got the ball bursting on the run on the way to the goal and decided to bounce it on the first step. Like, can you comprehend this, uh, Conan? Like, I was actually talking to a neighbour of mine recently and he told me that he's trying to coach the hop out of the players until they take their four steps. And I'm like, why would you want to look down to look at a ball bouncing back up? I can't, I always use my four steps. I use them and if I could get five to have a look around, I'd use the five. Actually, it's good you say that because I heard a great one recently where somebody's telling us, use your six steps. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, refs aren't going to blow you up for six steps. So you have six steps to look up like as you're running and do whatever you want. It's just, I just lack a conviction. I can definitely sympathize with him. Like, he just doesn't know what he's doing there. He's taken one step and he's bounced. And in doing so, he's, he's just ran into the best keeper in the country. Um, He just needed to pull the trigger. Like, I'm sure he knows that now, but ah, like, it just... Just needed that conviction to put it away. Is it, is it just a little bit of uh, composure, Keen, or is this an issue with younger players that they're bouncing it and soloing it too much instead of using their steps? It's hard to know, but I thought Conan was. I was just hoping that someone might be fouling him, Conan, because then you could tell him he could take as many steps as he wanted. As we discussion before. Um, no, look, and I think what you have there in that situation is Hickey is Hickey is actually a defender, and he found himself in a position that maybe he's just not that comfortable in. Um, 
look, he took it. He took it on. There was absolutely no need for the play. He actually should have even stepped probably onto his left foot and struck the shot instead of trying to come back in. So yeah, it's just composure in front of goal. I mean, if that if that landed in the hands of a of a, a forward, you'd expect it in the back of the net. Yeah, you would have used the four steps and you'd have been, you know, maybe used your momentum to step to the side or done something like that anyways. But you're right, if he's a predominantly uh, a defender, still doesn't excuse bouncing it on the very first step. It's just confusing. It's You're under enough pressure in there than to be dealing with a bounce when you didn't need to do it. It was just a very unusual thing for someone bearing down on goal to distract themselves like that when they didn't, when they didn't have to. Dean Rock, his first goal came from a goalkeeping error and... I don't know how many goalkeepers Andy McEntee's gone through, Keane, but like, I mean, it's been, it seems to have been a lot. Um, he's the highest goal scorer for, in Dublin football history. Um, that goal sent sent him through. I think now he's got 17,450 for Rock. He passed Jimmy Keaveney, who was on 3,402 um, points. This is an incredible record for Dean Rock. He's only 30. This is Dublin we're talking about. And you have to remember, Dean Rock had to serve his apprenticeship to get onto the team and at the start of his career, Keane. Yeah, I mean, he's he had to wait a long time to get in and to become that real regular in the team. And yeah, look, his scoring record is absolutely incredible. And I think he's he's continued to improve, and his form this year is exceptionally good with uh, with at club level. And he's brought that form straight into the county team. So um, I know it's a it's a small sample size this year, but I mean, he looks he looks like he's really enjoying his football. He's getting involved in an awful lot, and he's kind of the, like he's he's really established himself now as the main man in that forward line with a lot of the other kind of star names that have kind of that would have been there before his time and during his time. Um, and he's now kind of the leader in that forward line, and he has kind of younger players probably around him, and. It's superb. I'm like, I mean, but going back to the, the the kick out. I mean, like there's there's mistakes in Gaelic football either happen by poor decision making or poor execution. And on this occasion, you probably had a poor decision to try and play it to the corner back, and then probably poor execution and how it got there. So it was just a double whammy. And look, again, Dublin. It's just in my head, it's too much of a risk to take. Um, you know, they should have certainly been making a different decision, but I'm sure Marcus Brennan will know that he's an experienced player and in fairness to him, he handled it pretty okay after that. I thought he recovered his composure quite well and as the game went on, he seemed to be back to himself. But yeah, it was a, a bit of a killer blow and um, no no, no better man than Dean Rock to make sure he was in the right position to finish it. Yeah, exactly. Cluxton got the record for the longest serving player. It's his 20th season, Conan. Now, I don't think this should be longest serving player. I think this should be longest serving goalkeeper because you can't compare a goalkeeper to an outfield player. I'm sure Cluxton has lost a yard of pace. He's 38. If you lose a yard of pace out the field, you're gone. You're moved on. If you lose a yard of pace as a goalkeeper, look at Buffon. What age is he? 50 and he's still playing for Juventus. <laughs> but but I also think that Cluxton's in a, a class of his own and that I don't like when we call him the best goalkeeper of all time. I think he's like one of the best footballers of all time just because of everything that he, he brings and contributes to the game. And like, yeah, we can talk all day about how he's changed the game as well. So in terms of being a football player, I, I'm willing to say that he is one of the longest serving players. No, he is the longest serving player. I'm 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 disputing this. I think this should be the longest serving goalkeeper. Goalkeepers should have a bracket all of the road. We all know we've been running laps and doing sprints while the goalkeepers are down the goals messing around with a few shots and playing a few games. And they're, are they really part of the team well you know the Cluxton's there three years before everybody else training so he has really earned this to be honest yeah okay look I mean I'm only I'm only being a little I'm only messing here now um there's no doubt about that okay we'll get to our, our, our attacking cornerbacks here Keen, because here's something 
I've a bee in my bonnet about this. Like, I mean, should we be celebrating the Ushin Gallons of this world, the Liam Rafford Hughes who got two from Tyrone, the Sean Malulis who caused all sorts of mayhem for Roscommon bombing forward the other night? Or should we be looking at this going, does this really help the game? Let me explain what I'm talking about here. So, like, I mean, Ushin Gallon had Ian Burke on him. Ian Burke is a class forward. He's not an athlete. He's not an up-and-down-the-field man. Um, Liam Rafferty was marking Jamie Brennan, an out-and-out forward, and Sean Malouli was marking Jamie Clark, an Ian Burke-type character, not you know that athletic that's going to get up and down the field. Now, we've spoken about this loads of times. Do you let them go or do you not let them go? All three, all three of those players let their cornerbacks go and they caused all sorts of problems. So... It's very, very dangerous if you let them go. The other problem is, is the analysis of this is all wrong. Pat Spillane last night was talking about Kerry being more defensive this year on the evidence of a clip he showed. Now, you can see the clip. Dara Minahan is frantically chasing Kieran Duffy, who's a cornerback, back into the shot. So even we know Armagh are not a defensive team. Loads of occasions on Saturday night, Armagh had 15 behind the ball. Do Armagh want to play like that? No. Are attacking cornerbacks running up the field, dragging Armagh out of position? Are they creating a type of basketball-style game where everybody attacks together and everybody defends together? And is that Gaelic football? Are we losing our traditional shape of the Ian Burks, the Jamie Brennans, the Jamie Clarks being allowed hold a position and being forwards instead of chasing these lads over the field? Am I explaining my, my frustration well enough? No, you're definitely explaining it well. No, um, I think what you're looking is the don't hate the game, hate the player is what you're kind of saying here. Which is a look, it's a, it's a fair point. Um, the traditional structure of the game is gone, and it's it's not coming back unless there's a real change. Because um, I suppose the, the the emphasis on retaining possession has been a massive factor over the last number of seasons in the evolution of the game. And then when you factor in the physical conditioning of players and I suppose, more tactical coaching of the game and players um, being able to play in multiple positions, you end up with this end-to-end game where it, it is pretty much like, like basketball and you end up with these long phases of possession where the opposition has a lot of men behind the ball, as we saw in the Donegal Jerome game. Uh, to me, the only way that that's going to change is with a rule change where you restrict the number of players in, in a particular half of the field or, or something like that. Um, but I, I I don't really have a strong opinion on it either way in terms of what... Look, obviously, my preference would be that um, you would have a more traditional style and you would get to see the more the silkier or more skillful players display those skills and that the game doesn't become just a complete... Um, I suppose an, a, a, just solely based on a player's athleticism, like the ability to be able to run up and down the field is more important than the ability to have skill in possession. Um, but it is very, very difficult for teams because... You know, if you're playing as corner forward, you know, and we've spoken about this so many times before that if you're if the team structure is, is set up that you're you're kind of allowed to to retain your position up front, well then it puts an awful lot of pressure on half forwards, midfields, half half backs to kind of block out all the zones. And really what what, what seems to be happening a lot and the most effective way to counteract it, and it doesn't happen all the time, is where everybody effectively drops the line. So your full forward line out of possession are dropping out as far as the half forward line and as soon as the ball passes that zone then they're going back in to retain their position you know back into the full forward line your half forward line if not all of them you know probably ends up being all your half forward line 
certainly two of the three ends up drifting back into the middle sector of the field. Your midfielders are dropping back to compress that zone into your defence. So you end up with a kind of a concertina effect of your of your team drifting back out of possession. But the key thing is how how your team can kind of react and spring back into having that more traditional shape because let's face it, like we use the example of say Liam Burke, uh, or sorry, Ian Burke there, that example, but, like let's face it, Galway don't want him in, in the half-back line or in the middle sector of the field trying to tackle and chase. Yeah, they want them to, to work for the team, but that's not where he's going to be most effective for the team. So, no. I mean, that's where it all comes down to the tactical approach of the, the management and having that structure in place that, okay, if I'm playing corner forward and the cornerback goes, okay, if, if I can see that my half-forward liner is out of position or a fella's after making a long run and he's, he's, he's gassed out, yeah, I, I have to go with the man because that's what the team needs. But, if there's a situation where I have the ability to kind of pass him on and I can get kind of goal side of the ball or get pressure on the ball in in the opposition's half or in, in around the 45-metre line, then that's what I do. And I allow my man go and the half forward on my team sort of tracks that run or a midfielder and it kind of gets passed on down the field. Now, it does, it's going to break down on occasion, but that's certainly a more effective way for a team to kind of defend because it means then that they have their attacking players retained up in the attacking zone more often than not. Because let's face it, we spoke about this before. If David Clifford is playing against a team, if I if I was setting up a team and I was playing against Kerry, I'd tell the fellow who's on David Clifford, go, oh, just yeah. go, run yeah. up the field, take him out to the wing, drag him down the field, you know, waste all of his energy running after you. And just try him a few times and see if you can get. And what we'll do is we'll try and get you on the ball so that his team start, his teammates start getting onto him, or his management start getting onto him. Yeah. Now, it's up to Kerry then to have had that previously had that discussion to say, listen, David's coming out as far as the forty-five meter line, and if his man goes, well then, sorry, Sean O'Shea or whoever else, well maybe not Sean O'Shea, but somebody else on the team, Jack Barry, you need to track that runner and you need to go with him. And, and that's kind of just it, it has to be discussed before the game because otherwise it just becomes this sort of chaotic approach where everybody's running after everybody and you have players then in positions in areas of the field which they don't want to be. So as a, if you're playing against a team, that's what you want to do. You want to put players in positions where they don't want to be. If you're playing corner forward and you're marking a real tight cornerback who's used to playing in the full back line, what you want to do sometimes is take him for a run, bring him out to the half forward line, bring him out to the middle, and then run back in and see does he kind of lose his focus? Is he able to mark you in that way? You know, so it's always about testing the opposition's metal, but from your own perspective as a team, you have to have your kind of team cohesion in such a way that you maximize what you have there. And definitely when you're really good forward back in your own defense is not what you want to be. Yeah, see, that's the thing. And, and usually I would be on that side, Conan, in that take tell a half forward to pick him up. And it's not always possible now because a lot of the, def- the defenders on the other team are going forward and every man's pairing off with a man. And that extra man is actually causing a lot of problems. And I'm talking about Ushin Gallon caused terrible problems when he wasn't tracked. Sean Malouli, the same thing, caused terrible problems. And it is a difficult one. And I'm not blaming the managers for telling these these players to go and like Keen, I completely agree if I had a fellow Mark and David Clifford um, and Paul Ganey inside I'd tell every time we attack lads the two of you go right but make sure we work it through the hands so that we're not getting a turnover they'll follow you so then when they do turn us over Kerry don't have their brilliant forwards up that end of the field it's this fairy tale stuff I would make sure that you would rue that decision to put an attacking cornerback on David Clifford. Like just just what Keane's saying there. Like David Clifford is not following somebody the length of the pitch. Like 
I've got 12, 13 players to work with with my defensive shape. And if a cornerback is picking that apart... Yeah, but Conor, just on that though, the, the 12 players are not dropping into zones anymore. They're often following men. Do you know? So these extra men are causing problems. The, the other thing though is that, like, you mentioned Oshie Mullen there a few times. Like, I, I thought he was, like, that was electrifying watching him yesterday, the way he was on the pitch. And yeah. Brendan Rodgers is, like, Derry's most exciting attacking player, you know. But it's, it, you're right, there is a problem when it slows down and, and the players are back and then, then it's 15 on 15 and we're passing it around and it's Donegal v Tyrone. But when these players can go quickly without everybody getting back, then it's, I wouldn't want to take that away because it's 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 really good seeing that like how fast they're scaling the pitch. Yeah, no, I do, I agree. Like, it is a difficult one to come down on which side. I think the fact that they're pulling the whole structure of the game apart overrides the actual excitement. I agree with you. Ushin Gallon was great to watch yesterday. The speed he was attacking the ball at, but at, at the same, but maybe keen just that the analysis doesn't become Pat Spillane analysis where the team who are following their men are seen as being the defensive team when they're not. They're just following full back lines that are trying to drag them out of position. Ah, yeah, well, look, at I mean, that's just, um, that's just, I suppose, not really understanding what's happening, let's be fair about it. Um, like, if you look at the, the benefit or the sort of the joy that these attacking cornerbacks will say at the weekend would have gotten, I think that's more to do with disjointed teams and, you know, a lack of team cohesion because these these county teams haven't been together and there's a you know there's not that same team dynamic and trust like there's a lot of guys probably coming in there's a there was a huge amount of debutants across all the teams this weekend that ends up in a situation where guys are kind of covering their own arse and they're playing to a little bit to themselves and not selflessly for the team if you look at say the Oshin Mullen a couple of his runs for Mayo in the first half I mean let's face it he ran by two or three Galway lads who didn't track his run that was just I'm going to say that was just laziness from Galway. That was, they were things that were easy enough to attract. I'm not saying easy, but I mean, they could have certainly made a better attempt to track his run. And that would have still, you know, it was midfielders and it was half forwards that could have done that. And actual, in some cases, it was a half back line who were totally out of position. So, I mean, again, you have this sort of hybrid game where you sort of half backs are, are, are leaving their position and they're bombing on up the field. And they're leaving themselves, Galway particularly at the weekend, left themselves exposed more often than not. Now, that was just bad play rather than an overall trend. But certainly the ability, and we're seeing it with a lot of teams, the ability to leave your key attacking players up the field is definitely there more so than it's been in previous years. I think everybody has copped on to this thing of not having your key men run it back towards their full back line more often than not. It does happen on occasions in a game because the game can get a bit frantic and disjointed and everybody's just doing what they can. To, you know, for the team, but more often than not, I think teams are are well set up to. Well, certainly any of the good managers have their teams well set up. That like you don't see Dean Rock too often back in his own cornerback position. It may happen every now and again, randomly, but yeah. it's certainly not a pattern of pattern of play. Well, like I, we spoke about this before, the good thing about what Dublin do is that they'll turn and face their man and stand goal side of them. A lot of the time, the likes of Jamie Clarks, the Ian Burks, they're standing beside their men and then they just take off. They have the yard on them and they're gone and they can't really catch them. Whereas Dublin don't allow that happen because they're actually turned the full forward line or standing maybe at the 45, looking at the full back line, standing, waiting to shatter the run, you know, running up the field. So maybe tactically, that is definitely something to do. David Power, the Tipperary manager, was very critical of Leitrim, lads. So Leitrim pulled out 
of the down game. And he said, if I was Derry, I'd be very, very upset um, as well, because not only does it have an effect on the bottom of the league, it certainly affected the top of the league. I certainly think there's a lot of people very disappointed in what happened. At the end of the day, we'll be going up to Leitrim, uh, but if they're in isolation, the rules are 14 days, um, how are they going to be able to play next weekend? I don't want to get into that part, but I, I do think that Leitrim could have fielded a team, Conan, and Fermanagh kind of, you know, went with under-20s, they performed pretty well, the integrity of the competition, like for Manor we're almost defiant. We're not going to allow this stop us continue on in our league game. And it was there was a defiance to it. I think Leitrim's answer was kind of to roll over to it and say, oh, we're not going up there. I don't know. I don't think that's that was the spirit of every county and everyone in the GA have been trying to do over the last two or three months. No, and like you're right to mention Fermanagh's in their 20s, like there's loads of players in Leitrim who I'm sure would be chomping at the bit just to get any sort of opportunity to play with the seniors and it would have meant a lot for them to represent their county even in those circumstances. So yeah, they definitely could have put out a team just in terms of what David Power was saying. You know, Leitrim put out any team that they could have. I don't think that would have changed the result down, would have beaten them. Like, you know, Leitrim were going up yeah. there Nearly weakened. Derry already lost it down as well, so it was always very unlikely that they would go through. So I think it would have turned out the same way. And I, I can get his frustration, but it wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah, I think the Leitrim issue was they didn't want to travel to Down because obviously the the issue in 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 uh, Northern Ireland is very grave because the Leitrim statement said a number of players are waiting test results, right? So like, I mean, Crow Park are, are providing rapid testing. So they could have got that and they would have got the results back. So that was one excuse they used for players awaiting test results um, unavailable to travel. Other factors also prevented further players from being available. Considering the greater health situation and in this course of action, we must respect the situation. Their team doctor, Alan Loftus, was tweeting, never been prouder of my county for putting player welfare ahead of the demands of Croke Park. It should never have come to this. So maybe it was an element of being not wanting to go to down because of health reasons, um, Keen, You know, because, like, I mean, every county could feel the team if they really wanted to. Yeah, well, I think that's the key point. Um, uh, look, I understand there are difficult circumstances for everybody, but like ultimately, individually, you have to make your own decision as to what you want to do and how you want to live your life. I mean, there's there's guidelines there that are in place. Everybody who went back playing club football with, you know, knows exactly what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And you have to make certain sacrifices or not sacrifices. They're not sacrifices. You just have to make some common sense decisions outside of that if you want to play your football and if you're serious about doing it and if you want to protect your teammates and get on with things. So, I mean... Yes, I'm sure there were enough footballers in Leitrim that would have uh, happily played that game. Um, I, I certainly know that if there was a problem with the Mead team and they didn't have enough players, I'd certainly be saying, listen, I'm give you a call, I'll play, no problem, no problem. Anytime, any place, particularly if it's Dublin. Um, but, like, I mean, the reality is it's a difficult decision for people to make and maybe there was a, a collective decision from the Leitrim players. You don't know what... Everybody has different individual circumstances with their home lives and people make decision, make their decisions based on their own circumstances and that has to be respected. I mean, every, everybody's individual circumstances are different. Um, and if the Leitrim County Board just are, are making that call based on their own squad circumstances and, and the 30 guys that they're with, well, then that's fair enough and let them make that call and get on with it. I mean, that's really all I can say on it. But if they wanted to feel, if they wanted, if they really wanted to feel the team, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that they could have 
found 15 to 20 to 25 footballers in Leitrim that would have played that game. But obviously they're, they don't want to, uh, I suppose, go outside of their their panel at the minute and and try and make up the numbers to play a game. And look, I suppose that's fair enough too. Yeah, it was out. I suppose the point I'm making it was outside this kind of spirit of the show must go on, which you know the GA, everybody in the GA is trying to you know keep keep the show on the road. Some bit you have to say the Leitrim County Board didn't cover themselves in glory when they actually banned supporters from their own county semi-final and final before Neff had even told them to do it. So like I mean I, I think there's a couple of maybe warriors on that Leitrim County Board uh, somehow or another. Can you, can you, remember we talked about this comment they literally pulled support remember the outrage when Neff had banned supporters from 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 attending county semi-finals and finals while Leitrim had already banned it themselves. Yeah. Well, they said um, it was better that no nobody went rather than 200. And it was yeah, like, yeah. How is that better than 200? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You watched League Sunday last night, uh, Conan. I watched it. I thought the, the variety of highlights was outstanding and we've been critical in the past. Um, they definitely deserve a shout out, um, you know, to say that was a really good two hours and we saw we saw highlights from every single division. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I thought Kevin McStay is always always good when he's on as well. No, no um, I'm not talking about the analysis now. I'm talking about the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go. Let's not go. Let's not go overboard here now. <laughs> well, yeah, great array of highlights. It was. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lads, we'll leave it there, and we'll come back in part two, and we'll have a look at the at the two matches. Come here, I want you to talk us through the goal you scored in the county final after 15 seconds. I want you to tell me when you had goal on your mind. Yeah, you've probably had a few 15 seconds experiences yourself. <laughs> All right, so we know Mayo 223, Galway 17 points, an absolute hammering. James Horan said after the game, um, a couple of young guys came through the club scene. They had a great energy. The energy and work rate was super today. And like I suppose, Keen, you look at the likes of Ushin Mullen, who we've mentioned already with the cornerback, um, talk, Jesus, the, the energy the energy and work rate from him. Owen McLaughlin, built almost like a small, uh, another version of Colin Boyle, even only a little bit faster, very direct, loads of pace. And of course, Mark Moran, who played uh, who played centre-half forward. Three very impressive new players, you'd have to say, for Mayo. Yeah, they did. And they all, they, they looked really good. I'd have to compliment probably the, the Mayo management on, on obviously what preparation they've done with the team also, because... You know, they, they definitely didn't have them sort of overtrained, which I'd say there was a number of teams probably are overtrained physically and they, they just didn't get that right um, for last weekend. But Mayo were really on top of the ground across the field. They were all moving really well from their new players to their more experienced players. There was just a bit of a sort of a, a vibrancy about them, um, yeah. which was which was really impressive. And I suppose we've mentioned um, a kind of couple of the guys and Tommy Conroy as well in the corner who's a new he kind of only made his debut this season but again just that sort of sharpness to them the bit of cut to them that you know they were able to break tackles they were able to just you know get away from their men and, and really cause danger and then of course you have allied to the to the young players there and the new guys I mean Aidan O'Shea was very good Killian O'Connor was 
you know, back in back in action, which was good. You know, they've just such an array of quality, and when they add those uh, new players to it with that bit of pace, I mean, look, it was a really, really impressive performance from them. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Aidan O'Shea, obviously, at full forward, full time, no in and out and messing. And we know James Horn kind of favours Aidan O'Shea at centre half forward, played him at midfield last year, in at full forward now. Like, I mean, I would like to have seen him get more consistent service, Conan, if I'm being honest. Oshi Mullen gave him a brilliant diagonal ball in the first half. Um, he could have taken a mark. Um, he didn't. And then uh, Mark Moran in the second half gave him two lovely diagonal ones off the outside of the left boot. Um, I would have liked to have seen maybe three or four more examples of that to say, OK, they're building a game plan around that, potentially. Well, definitely. It's it's chaos when Aidan O'Shea's inside and like Sean Andy O'Kelly was, was really struggling on him and every time O'Shea had it, like he does, he draws four or five players to him and everyone's panicking and he's usually bustling through them and finds a free man. And you're right, like there was a few times, especially when they were like 45 metres out and stuff, sometimes I, f- I felt like if they thought the high ball wasn't on, then Aidan O'Shea wasn't an option. Whereas he was free out in front sometimes. Like you remember Kieran Donaghy, uh, took Aidan O'Shea to the cleaners at Crew Park because he just started winning short ball or like ball on the ground rather than, than high ball. Like Aidan O'Shea was making those runs and I just don't think they were they were looking at it. And if you're going to play Aidan O'Shea, who is obviously one of your, your better players and he gives you so much out the pitch, if you're going to take that away from the team while he brings you out in the middle and put him inside, then use him a bit more. Like don't have him inside just being a bit part player. He should be a big fulcrum as well. But like first game and I thought... It did look good, and I thought they had a good shape, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that he's spearheading it. Yeah, no, exactly, and there's a nice bit of balance in that full forward line. You've mentioned it already now, Keane, so you've Aidan O'Shea's size. Again, I'd like to see him use more. Killian O'Connor would be there for his accuracy, and Tommy Conroy is a complete live wire. So, like, I like to see little dynamics kind of forming in a full forward line, and especially with Aidan O'Shea in there, you can almost guarantee the opposition will play a full-time sweeper because you nearly have to. Now you have a man out the field that can cause plenty of overlaps and, you know, me, you know, pop balls on the shoulder and breaking lines. Yeah, look, it gives them a different dynamic in there. I mean, it's always good to have kind of a real physical presence in your full forward line because it gives you it gives you the option to play to play longer earlier. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting in the post-match interview, Mark Moran was talking about the influence of Kieran McDonald and he mentioned this thing, he made a comment about scan, scan far and then scan short or scan long and scan short. So basically what he was saying there was when lads get possession, that their immediate instinct, what they're being encouraged to do is try to get the ball, you know, try to deliver the ball by the foot as quickly as you can into the full forward line. And if that's not on, then you, you obviously can play it a little bit shorter or play it your hand. So, I mean, like, that's very, very encouraging. And I can speak from first hand for playing in the forward line that if you know the ball is coming, your movement is going to be good because you know it's going to, you know, you know yeah. the ball is going to be delivered. Whereas if you're in this situation where you know the guy on the ball isn't going to get his head up, well, then eventually you just stop making runs because, you know, there's no point here. He's not even looking to give me the ball. So what, why would I be running left, right and centre to try and get free? Uh, you know, and sort of... It, that sort of coaching in a forward line is just, it gives such confidence to the forwards because you know, I make the run, the ball is going to arrive. And if it doesn't, if it's not perfect this time, at least they're looking for it. It just encourages that movement across the board and encourages the whole, it just breeds confidence in the entire forward line. And I thought that was a very, very interesting point. You know, from we, we don't very much get, uh, we don't often get very interesting things from post-match interviews. Maybe it was because it was Mark's first one that he maybe gave a little bit too much away, but it wasn't exactly a state secret that uh, they were looking to play the ball into the forward line. But it was just it's just an interesting little tidbit about, you know, and it, it was reflected in the way the game went that 
there was great movement from them left to right and out to in and, and you know there was a mixture of positions like Mark Moore was getting the ball in the half forward line at times around the middle third and then he was you know for his goal he was he, he got the pass in the full forward line so there was that fluidity of movement too and we know that Kevin O'Connor has played out centre forward at times as well so he's a player who can drift in and drift out and we obviously in a way know Shea can drift in and drift out as well so look I think you know it gives them just a few more weapons to our teams yeah, scan short and scan long. I rewound that three times and I couldn't really make out what he was saying. He said it so fast that time. I was thinking, what, what, what is he actually after saying there? But yeah, that is it. And like, I mean, if you're analysing Mayo, um, Conan, it's almost like insert analysis from Galloway in the first four games. Direct, kick passing, clinical up front, great movement and absolutely brilliant to watch. Everything they did at pace. I just, like, when you see some of their players just bombing up the field with purpose, and then you go to the Tyrone Donegal game, and I know it's a different tactics and style make fights and things like that, but it's just this lethargic play on the outside, over and back, move it over and back. It's like, Jesus, somebody just inject a bit of pace into this attack. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and you, like the annoying thing about that game as well is that they have the players to do it, you know, and, the, and that neither team was doing it. I think Donegal got in the lead and they were they were happy enough. But Keane used the word cut. Like that, that was a really good phrase to describe what Mayo brought in and especially a lot of the new players like they just just had energy and enthusiasm and like like the goal week comparison is good maybe Mayo fans won't like that as much but they they had different dimensions to their attack you mentioned it in the full forward line alone but just just those different areas and like you know Mark Moore and just great balance lovely player always turning around always looking up scanning short scanning long and then just with all that running around him I really like Connor Loftus out around the middle as well just it just brought Almost brought um sometimes I think when Jeremy O'Connor is playing midfield, it's like he's almost too honest. You know, he does too much work almost, whereas Loftus was bringing the runs at the right time, you know, almost conserving his energy to try and hurt Galway all the time. And I thought that was a nice, exciting dimension. Yeah, one one point I want to make about the Mayo, the Mayo kick-out strategy was like the old bunch and break. We see loads of teams doing it. So they're gathered in the middle and they're all breaking in different directions. And I thought it was funny in the first half, Keen Ian Burke, Galway actually won the kick-out. It was a turnover and it was kicked in and Ian Burke was completely free absolutely nobody around him and I'm wondering where the hell is Ushin Mullen and of course they're doing that the, the danger of that bunch and break thing is that everyone's scattered the backs are scattering away from their forwards so that if it doesn't go to hand <laughs> you've completely left your man completely free inside like there, there is a danger to that bunch and break that you simply have to win it because there's too many of the backs disappearing away from their men Oh yeah, I I have to say I absolutely love playing against defenses who do all this nonsense on their kickouts. You know, they all all these stupid set plays. Uh, I mean, it's just meat and drink because you know if we win this ball, it's definitely a goal chance here because you know everybody's all the defenders are running away from the lads they're supposed to be marking. All you need to do is you know to get the ball. It's it's massive dangerous. The you know it's the perfect situation almost. You're as a defender, you're kind of. Uh, and as, as the team taking the kick out, you're actually creating a perfect scoring opportunity for the opposition. You know, so I think I think uh, a lot of these um, a lot of coaches are they try to be very clever with these things, but you wonder, you know, the law of unintended consequences. You wonder are they actually thinking the whole thing through? Um, certainly, I never like to see my full back line at all that sort of nonsense. I'd like to see them a little bit more rigid in their structure. That at least if uh, if it does break down, um, you're not totally exposed. 
Yeah, I suppose to to be fair to Oshie Mullen, Ian Burke wasn't entertaining following him the whole day. So why didn't he just? He was just probably making hay when the when the when the sun shone. It was actually a bad bad miss by Ian Burke. So look, at the end of the day, Mayo very impressive. Again, the asterisks we can't read too much into it. Christ, if we can't read too much into a league game at the start of last year with about three months preparation, like we just simply cannot read into any of these matches. We can just talk about them, I suppose, is the is the only way. Although with Donegal and Tyrone, considering they're playing in two weeks' time. Um, Keen, I don't know. Like Mickey Hart said before the game, he says there's no reason you can flip a switch inside 14 days and say now we can do things the way we want to. You know, like so he's saying today we're going to have to play the way we're going to in two weeks' time, and I just simply can't believe that that's what Tyrone are going to do against Donegal again. A very a very boring game to watch. Again, you would love players to inject some pace in it, but again, Donegal are so used to playing against. These these type of systems, Tyrone were dropping off into zones. It was incredible to watch. It was like watching Tyrone two years ago. Donegal playing on the outside, waiting to pick off a pass and ending up getting through them in a much more laboured fashion, but still getting through them at the same time. I just simply cannot believe that Tyrone are going to play like this in two weeks' time against Donegal. No, it was it was sort of a funny old game because at, at times Donegal looked like they wanted to go direct. You know, when the space was on, they did they did on occasion look to try and kick the ball in. You know, at the start of the game, Jamie Brennan got a couple of um, decent scores where where the ball was moved reasonably quickly. But after that, I mean, it was very difficult for Donegal to find those kick passes, and the game be- became a kind of a, a slow enough type of a game where Donegal were taking short kickouts and working the ball. And it slowly up the field, and Toronto were at the same stuff. Like it was, it was kind, it was boring enough stuff, really, to be honest. In terms, you know, in terms of a spectacle, but it's very difficult to know how Toronto are going to change their approach. I mean, understandably, they were probably missing a few players um, at the weekend, but I mean, it's the structure of what they're trying to do. I mean, I just I'm, I'm not in favour of conceding the short kick out. I think that that just leaves you in a position where you end up having to play this sort of an end-to-end game where it's kind of slow and methodical because if you're conceding the kick out, it means you're, you you know, by the the very nature of doing that, you're you're already dropping off the opposition and allowing them to have possession. So you have to condense the field and you you have to basically make the scoring zone very compressed. So then when you do turn over the ball, I mean, unless the ball is transferred very, very quickly via foot, you're in trouble. And Tyrone just simply at times don't have any players up the field. And also when you play against a team like Donegal, even when Donegal do go forward, they're, they're a mature team with plenty of tactical now they don't leave they don't leave themselves overly exposed so like it's quite rare that even if Donegal get turned over high up the field they're, they're not really that open to the counter-attack so I, I think that Tyrone need to kind of really look at what they're doing there and go back and probably play with a little bit more ambition and I'm sure they will for the championship game because um, if they try and play the same way again Donegal just probably simply have um, have better quality footballers in terms of their their kicking skills and ability to finish scores that um, when they take away Tyrone's ability to run down the middle and, and you know run those channels and, and tear through them then Tyrone at times just look like they don't have a lot left and it's Look, there's plenty of quality forwards at Jerome, but they just don't seem to have the ability to have that platform. Now, whether that's because the management don't, just don't trust their defenders and their midfield to give them enough of a foothold in the game, maybe that's the case and maybe that's why they're dropping off. But um, look, they, they certainly won't be happy. And sometimes um, a defeat like that can 
you know, cause cause everybody to have a bit of a look at themselves. And I'm sure Tyrone will be better the next day, but I'm sure Donegal will be as well. Yeah, Tyrone decided to do a bit of pressing towards the end of the game. I remember McGonagall got caught for overcarrying when Tyrone were actually pressing him high up the field. And we know teams can get loads of joy. And it's part of the Tyrone psyche to be in your faces. And we thought they had moved away from that. But my theory on this is, Conan, that last season, Tyrone kind of signposted how they were going to play. Carl McShane, the diagonal balls, you know, Matty Donnelly in beside him sometimes. And Donegal came against them in Breffney Park last year with a very defensive plan, snuffed that out and caught Tyrone on the break. I, I'm, I'm convinced Tyrone weren't trying to show them their hand yesterday. If they were, I would worry for Tyrone. Yeah, like... It's an interesting one because obviously we're talking about it being the first game back, so you can't look too much into it. But well, you, you see, you have to with this game because they're playing in two weeks. Exactly, and um, we've we've never seen a game so close to a championship match. Yeah, let alone a knockout match as well. So like this, this is the shape that they're in. Now, you, I think you're right. I don't think they're playing exactly how they will want to, but. Like, no, they did to try to call on the can inside, like in the Cal McShane role. That's the only thing I could see, and it wasn't really working that uh, well. It didn't work. No. McKenna played one ball into him, and he won it, but that that was it. And he was sort of a bit lost, and he got brought off. And like I can only imagine that it was a bit of rope though. But what else are they going to do without Cal McShane? You know, unless it is Connor McKenna's going inside. Matty Donnelly was just sort of floating around the middle sometimes inside doing. You know, not not really a, a Matty Donnelly dominant match, so we'd probably see more from him in two weeks' time. They, they, probably the concern from Donegal, and I'm sure they're thinking about it because Declan Bonner's excellent, but they, they've they had so much success against Tyrone playing that way that maybe Tyrone are assuming that Donegal are going to do that again in two weeks' time. Maybe Tyrone know what Donegal are going to bring this time and now they're preparing for that in the background right maybe that's it yeah I don't know I think well based off the end of the game you'd be playing um McKenna in full forward where's Paul Donaghy was so good with Dungana like they have forwards to play in there Lee Brennan leave them fecking in there and uh play a play play more of a, a traditional style I, I I think they will do that I do I do think that maybe they didn't want to show their hand they put two defenders in midfield uh keen to make up for the loss of Colum Cavanagh so like I mean Colum's <laughs> lost as their, their go-to sweeper it didn't work for Hamsey as far as I'm concerned he was blatantly at fault for Brennan's uh, goal the second Donegal one where there was already four players covering Murphy and he got sucked completely out of his sweeping position and left Brennan inside didn't seem to be used to that uh, role but it was both him and Burns at times were dropping back into that sweeper role yeah, look, it's it's not a good thing. I think if you look around, the trend is having uh, having really good kick passers playing in the middle, playing in midfield for you that can give quality ball into the forward line. I mean, like you see that with all the top teams, like the quality of the kick passing from the likes of Fenton and David Moore and these guys is just supreme, and that's given the forwards a massive chance because you know you're, you you can rely on that that quality delivery, that early ball, and you know somebody is you know, using Mark Morris or scanning long, somebody's looking for that option. Whereas Tyrone don't do that. It's all sideways. It's all running the ball. I mean, Jesus Christ, you'd be driven to mental playing in the forwards for them. I'm not surprised so many forwards leave their squad because it's just pointless. Yeah. I mean, like if we look at McCann who was played in the full forward line, I mean, how many how many times did they actually try and play the ball into him? Now, I know there are times when Donegal, because it's a slow build-up, Donegal get bodies back. We know that. But, I mean, there was no even attempt to play the ball in. I mean, it was all lateral stuff predominantly and it's it, like that's very very frustrating as a as a forward unit to, to be subjected to that where you're you're standing up there and you can make as many runs as you want but the ball is never going to arrive so it becomes sort of stagnant then and yeah 
Yeah, it's just it's just a pattern of play. But if you think about it, if you're playing with those two guys in the middle of the field, Hamsey, who's Hamsey, who I would have thought predominantly was a man marker in the defence, and um, no doubt he's a good athlete and a good ball winner. But I've never seen him being a, a sort of a progressive um, kick passer, the ball or a creative force. And Frank Burns, much the same way, when he gets forward, he can kick a point and he's accurate like that. But again, I've never seen him deliver any sort of clever or incisive or or defence splitting passes or incisive passes into the forward line. So again. They're kind of hamstrung there when they don't have those players. Like maybe Matty Donnelly back to the middle of the field, where you know he he has a, he does have an ability to kick the ball, um, but he doesn't use it very often because he, he likes to carry it. But at least you'd have that little bit of a mix in there. Yeah, exactly. I I just can't see how those tactics would work against Donegal. Donegal are so comfortable against it, even though it is dull to watch. They're so comfortable. It's like what you watch any. Club football in in Donegal, Conan, and they just they don't even entertain playing the way Mayo might against it, and you know urgency. They'll do the complete opposite. They'll slow it right down to walking pace, and they'll eventually get through you because they're very very good and they very rarely give over those turnovers. Yeah, and and you can see like the the players like they're, they're not embarrassed to. No, no, they actually pride themselves on that kind of style. Exactly, like you can see Ryan McHugh just deliberately stopping as well. You know, when he's yeah, yeah. back, it's like, ah, piss off. I'm not going into that. Like, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Just turns around and goes the other way. Like, yeah, like they, they have that number, so it would be very, very strange. Like, Mickey Hart, I guess, too much respect for him. I can't see him bringing that to the table in two weeks' time. If he does, like, my God, we need to have a talk <laughs> on that Monday show. Yeah, Sean Cavanaugh will lynch him on the Sunday game, uh, maybe that night or something like that. They're in bother now, Tyrone, because that is a very fair point that Kerry are going to win the league now because Donegal are going to go down to Kerry next week um, with half a team. A win will will win the league for Kerry. So I'm I'm prematurely congratulating Kerry on winning the league. Tyrone are in bother to go to Castlebar because... I don't know. What's your record like against Monaghan, uh, Key and Mead? We have to beat Monaghan, you know, to try and um, to try and save Tyrone if they lose to Mayo. Yeah, well, look, Mead's record up in Monaghan hasn't been great over the years, but the reality is that the Mead are probably trying to develop players. So I'd say you'll see you'll probably see a very similar performance from Mead as you did against Tyrone. So it'll it'll come down to what Monaghan's preparation is like. And I suppose with a lot of teams, it, it could be squad management coming into the first round of championship. And if Monaghan don't have anything to play for, I'd imagine they'll be protecting their key men and they'll be trying to give some game time to the squad or certainly they're not going to put Conor McManus at risk for a full 70 minutes if he's going to be playing championship the following weekend. Well, if they do, they're mad. <laughs> yeah, but how do you balance that off with actually getting some matches into him? Uh, look, the lads have had enough football. I mean, I'd say they've had plenty of games with, with, with their club championship. They've probably had numerous internal games themselves. I, I mean, 35, 45 minutes from a guy like McMahon is a week. I mean, like seven days is not an awful lot of recovery time. And particularly when you stack that on then for the next number of weeks, I would say that um, unless he's feeling like he's really mad for a game, on heavier ground as well. I mean, we know that the league has always been a bit of a war of attrition and the championship turned into that now. So, I mean, if Monaghan are, are very serious, I would say they'd play their, their top men maybe for... I would. I certainly couldn't see a lot of them getting 70 minutes, if, if at all possible. Like Right, because I saw, I saw Mike Quirk actually talking about um, we were hoping for better, but it, it probably wasn't all that expected. The fact we've done so little. Leash need matches. Leash, Leash were in around... 
two weeks ago Leash were playing their quarterfinals. So he was down all eight teams instead of just maybe down county finalists or whatever because Leash obviously got pushed back um, by the lockdown. And he thought, Mike Quirk thought that the pace of the club, they were picking players on club form and the pace of the club game was nothing compared to what Westmead brought to the table, for example. So, you know, based based off that, you you might want the likes of Conor McManus to get, well, look, we know what Conor, I suppose Conor McManus isn't probably the best example because we know what he can do, Keane. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, look, I suppose I used Hibble as an example because he's kind of Monaghan's key man. But I mean, it, look, I think there's there's a there's a difference between players who kind of need games and players who don't need games. And I think every manager should probably judge that for themselves and they'll know their squad. Again, it depends on the age profile of players, their built-up experience, what sort of workload they've done even in the previous number of weeks. I mean, like even within a squad internally, we don't know if lads have picked up knocks or what the level of training has been. I mean, I think any... Any county team, what what I would see is that lads, when you see the the benefit, or sorry, if you see the pace of the games at the weekend, the benefit of the sort of um, period away from the county setup has probably been quite good for guys because they've been able to, um, I suppose, do their own level of training to a certain extent. And they've all come back in large bulk of cases looking pretty fresh and looking pretty hungry and moving across the ground very, very well. So, I mean, there's not going to be a huge amount. Uh, look, uh, Conor McMahon is probably a bad example because if I was his manager, there's no way I'd be risking him in a game a week before our first round of championship, which was knockout in a league game that has absolutely nothing at stake. But if 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 you're talking to a player like him, you're managing him, and you're saying, Conor, how do you feel? Do you want to play the full game? How are you you know how's the body feeling? And if he's saying, yeah, some guys just need games to to get themselves up to speed, and other guys would prefer not to. They prefer to be focused on the challenge which is the following weekend and starting to get themselves prepared to that. So, I mean, look, that's ultimately where squad management comes in. And it's, if ever there was an opportunity for certain um, managers to get a look at guys, it's it's the last league game where there's maybe not a lot at stake for anybody. Yeah, yeah, no, it probably is. Right, lads, we'll have to leave it there. Last Before we go, it's performance of the weekend and we're not going through nominations uh, this weekend. We're just giving it to Mark Moran. And that's it. I saw him. Uh, he was outstanding, to be fair to him. He'd won two before the water break. Um, he set up the goal for Loftus. He was just a constant presence. And I think it would be no harm if you're back at him, Conan, maybe to head up the field a few times and drag him out of position. Does it look like the type of fella, maybe in an Ian Burke mould that might like that type of game? But he was able to make um, Mayo tick, give him that presence on the half forward line and maybe be able to link um, the the defence and attack but looks very comfortable on the ball like I mean left and right great balance very accurate and looks like a pretty good player he does he, he, he plays exactly like he, he looks like he'd play like you know just completely calm and comfortable as you say and with a bit of style like, yeah you, you know when I, I you're talking about like yeah, his appetite maybe for going up the pitch and, and getting that work I was impressed like he was getting hammered very early on by Duan and he you know didn't seem to bother him and he was able to sort of hold on to the ball and, and shake himself into a bit of space and always just turning on the ball as well. I think that's always a mark of a good forward. Like, you know, someone who's getting the ball, moving with it and turning and get squaring their body up to the goal so he has more options. Like, a lot of limited forwards don't do that. It sounds very simple, but um, just, it's just a great sort of class player and you saw the clips of him throughout the Mayo Championship coming through he was selling people for batter sausages left right and centre with that dummy of his Um, it's very exciting and if, if they can work it around and he can hold that number 11 spot maybe not go for all that work like we were talking earlier 
then it could be a great outlook because he gets on the ball all the time. Yeah, Mark Moran, you have on McLaughlin as wing back, you have Fionn McDonough, then you're wondering, you know, Westport obviously making huge strides. Uh, poor Lee Keegan still stuck in the corner. I'm still sticking to my to my um, analysis that James Horn is destroying um, Lee Keegan. But sure, like, I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. The, like, his goal, Keane, was a lovely finish, even though I probably would have thought he would have stuck it into the open side of the goal. It was a very underrated pass by Killian O'Connor to be able to get that much kind of power on the hand pass to pick him out perfectly. Yeah, it was. Uh, look, he, I thought he took it. Uh, I thought he took it nicely. Um, if you if you say he meant to finish, he, he you know he he knocked it into the ground under the goalkeeper. Although I think it looked like a bit of a, a bit of a miss hit, to be honest. But um, look, what can you say? We, we we saw a weekend. I'm looking at a weekend of Mead lads getting through with, with goal opportunities and missing them all. So. I wouldn't care how it went in. As long as it ripples in that, nobody cares. Yeah, he went back across the goal. Pat Spillane called him one cool guy last night, um, Conan. He's apparently a TikTok star. Now, I don't want to get started on TikTok. I just don't understand it. But I saw one of his uh, TikTok videos. Some t- silly old stuff. Uh, if we were together and he dressed up in three or four different costumes, <laughs> maybe I'm showing my age. But what's, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> He's got one million views. <laughs> I, I just I just don't get what these young people like nowadays. That's what you sound like. Um, yeah, but, no, but I am being genuine. I don't. I am completely showing my age now. When I looked at that TikTok video and went, "What the hell is that shite?" <laughs> for, for me, I, I, I saw I saw what you're talking about. Like, I I don't really get it. I don't, I don't really care. There was just as long as he, he plays some football, and if that's what young people. Are, <laughs> as long as the young people are happy, that's the main thing. I I don't know. I always thought like Vine. What happens? Like I can. What, what's TikTok all about, Conan? Can you give us a quick little uh, tutorial on why why TikTok's so popular? <laughs> what is it? And I could put a, vi- a video up on Twitter. I could put a video on Instagram. There's vines that were six minute videos. What's TikTok? Do you miss the days of Vine, Willie? <laughs> it's a like you can. It's like a self-editing tool, so it's like it's it's very good if you want to sort of create little creative videos. Like in, I'm like, bored. I'm bored already. We will leave it there. Like I mean, I'm not going to listen to TikTok. Uh, this is influencer stuff, is it? It is. Yeah, it is. And he's an influencer. Oh God, he's a good player though, and he's got great hair, and he looks a bit like uh, uh, Zach from One Direction. Um, is it Zach or Zayn? Zayn, maybe, whatever his name is. Anyways, his performance of the weekend, Mark Moran, on his uh, debut for Mayo. So congratulations to him. Right, lads, we'll leave it there and we'll be back um, on Thursday and we'll preview. Oh, we've the Hurling Show back this Thursday as well um, for anyone that likes to listen to the two shows. Right, we'll talk to you then. Good luck. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing for f***ing years. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.